We are diverse in terms of age and gender and ethnicity uh, and in terms of musical preferences. There might be one or two of you that like country music. We are diverse in our political opinions. Please keep them to yourself. But we all have one big thing in common. Disappointment. All of us know what it's like to have the ball and chain of disappointment wrapped so tightly around our ankle that we can barely move. Holding us down, keeping us down, dragging us down. Now, there are different levels of disappointment. There are low levels of disappointment. Uh, Your favorite team, the Colts, didn't win the Super Bowl. That's disappointing. What's worse is the Patriots did win the Super Bowl. That's disappointing. Any Patriot fans in the house? Good. (laughs) I was going to have the ushers escort you out. Uh, I only got 10 likes on my Instagram selfie. That's disappointing. My favorite contestant on The Voice didn't win. The It's a Small World ride at Disney is down for repairs. The Chinese buffet is out of wonton soup again. Now, a few of these low-level disappointments can accumulate and knock us off our spiritual game. But then there are mid-level disappointments. A few days before Christmas, your upstairs toilet leaks and causes damage to your ceiling and floor downstairs. And what's worse is your mother-in-law is staying with you through the holidays purely hypothetical for me. (laughs) Your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you. Your employer of the last 10 years fires you with no good reason at all. The medicine you're paying top dollar for uh, is only making the pain worse. You finally got your crush of the last five years to go out on a date with you and you wake up with a dime-sized zit on your forehead. (laughs) Disappointing. Now, it only takes a couple of these sort of mid-level disappointments to kick us in the gut and knock the wind out of us. But then there are high levels of disappointment. A pastor passes away before he even hits 70 years of age. That's disappointing. Your parents go to counseling for a year and they still get divorced. You buy a bigger house so that you and your spouse can fill it with kids and you find out that one of you is infertile. After a round of chemo, the cancer comes back more fierce than ever. The son you've been praying for for years to come to faith in Christ seems further from God than ever. You go to counseling for a year and take every possible medicine under the sun for your depression, and it still persists. It only takes one of these high-level disappointments to throw us into the desert of disappointment. Disappointment is a desert. Dry, 
barren, lifeless. There's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. There is no shade. You are exposed. The only thing that seems to grow in the desert is cactus. Prickly cactus. Your childhood didn't turn out as you had hoped, cactus. Your marriage has not turned out as you had hoped, cactus. Your kids have not turned out as you had hoped, cactus. Your career had not turned out as you had hoped. Your church has not turned out as you had hoped. God has not turned out as you had hoped. You have not turned out as you had hoped. Cactus, cactus, cactus. The desert of disappointment is any season in life where you experience extreme disappointment with God, with people, or with yourself. And our Christian depth is determined not by the profundity of our theology, not by how many Bible verses we have memorized, not by the size and scope of our ministry. The ultimate Christian university is not Indiana Wesleyan or Taylor, as good as those schools are. The ultimate Christian university is the desert of disappointment. Because it's there that God teaches us one of the most valuable lessons of life. How to love God, others, and ourselves with a holy love in the midst of disappointment. Who we become and the kind of life we live will be determined by how we deal with the desert of disappointment. Now, the Israelites know that desert. In fact, they're in the desert of disappointment. It's called the desert of sin, actually. No joke. I mean, S-I-N is the name of the desert they're in. Uh, It's rightly named. Uh, Forty-five days ago, they were slaves in Egypt. But now they're free. Through a series of miracles, God set them free from slavery in Egypt. Water to blood, locusts, lice, and frogs everywhere, all to get them free. But they're stuck in the desert, and they're not happy about the menu options. They're disappointed. Uh, Let me read uh, the passage for you. Again, 45 days ago, they were slaves. Now they're free, but they're complaining. We're in uh, Exodus chapter 16 beginning with verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, like I said, rightly named, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, 45 days ago. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They have the short-term memory of a toddler. It's like they, they forgot all the miracles God did just 45 days ago to free them. And they're disappointed about the desert. And God strikes them down with lightning just devours them because they're grumblers, they're complainers. No, it's not what God does at all. In fact, God responds very graciously to them. If I were God, I would have zapped them. Thank God I'm not God. Verse 4. Here's God's gracious response to their toddler forgetfulness. Sorry, toddlers, if you're out there. 
The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven, manna for you. And the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. God provides morsels of manna in the desert of their disappointment to sustain them, to nurture them. But they're not real happy with that. Because they're not grateful for the past, exodus from Egypt, and they're not hopeful about the future, deliverance into Canaan, the promised land, they're not real faithful in the present. In fact, they do all kinds of crazy things in the desert. First off, they worship a golden calf. And disappointment makes these Israelites kind of crabby, cantankerous, contentious. Some of you have dealt with more than your fair share of disappointment. And it's easy when you're disappointed over and over and over again to just stop hoping altogether because hope seems to disappoint. And so you just kind of go through life numb, not being real hopeful about anything, optimistic about anything. You just kind of give up internally. You don't announce that. You just kind of give up. You stop hoping. And if you're not careful, it's so easy to become like those cantankerous, contentious, crabby, cactus-like Israelites. The desert of disappointment can bring out the worst in us. I'm disappointed with God, so I'll look at pornography. I'm disappointed with people, so I will vent an angry post via social media. I'm disappointed with myself for the porn and the post, so I will drown my shame in some high alcohol content craft beer. What throws us off our game, if you're a longtime Christian, is not temptation. After a while, you learn how to resist the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But when we're in the desert of disappointment, we are vulnerable. And once resistible temptations seem so stinking irresistible. And lies begin to trip us up like boulders in the desert. God has abandoned you. No one's there for you. Throw in the towel. And many of us in the desert experience what classic Christianity calls acedia. Acedia is basically spiritual apathy. It's, it's a lack of care. And really a lack of care about your lack of care. You know I like 80s music, so I think of Phil Collins' I don't care anymore. That's what acedia is. You don't care to pray, and you don't care that you don't care to pray. You don't care to read the Bible, you don't care to fellowship, and you don't care. And when you're experiencing that kind of acedia that comes from disappointment over and over and over again, you end up in a cell of isolation. You begin to pull away from God, and you pull away from people, and you pull away from your true self, and all of a sudden you are stuck in isolation all alone in the desert, and that's the worst place to be alone because in the desert when you're alone, you start seeing all kinds of mirages. 
Things that aren't real that you think are real. They're just imaginary. And nobody is around you to help you discern what is real from what is fake. And that's when Azazel, the desert demon, will get you. The Hebrews actually believed that there was a demon in the desert named Azazel who devoured people who were alone. And that can happen to us when we choose isolation in the midst of disappointment. Well, two years have passed and the Israelites are still in the desert. Not the desert of sin, actually the desert of Sinai now, which has the word sin in it, by the way. And they're still complaining about the menu options. (laughs) Two years in. They're disappointed with God, they're disappointed with Moses, they're disappointed with the menu. Numbers 11, verse 4, listen to this. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing, complaining, and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. (laughs) Don't you just want to tweak them in the forehead? I do. And then I remember they're my spiritual ancestors. That I'm not all that different from those grumbling, mumbling, fumbling Hebrews. Well, Moses has had it. He's only two years in. He's got 38 more to go, by the way. And he's had it. He's disappointed with God for calling him there. He's disappointed with the people big time. He's disappointed with himself. And he prays in response to their complaining about the menu again. He prays what can be called an odd sort of pastoral prayer. It's the kind of pastoral prayer you wouldn't want to pray unless it's your last Sunday or it will be your last Sunday. Here's the prayer. Numbers 11.10. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. God, if this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I found favor in your eyes, kill me. And do not let me face my own ruin. Wow. What a prayer. It's an angry prayer. It's an angst-filled prayer. It's a prayer of disappointment. It's a psalm of lament, if you will. But don't be so critical of Moses' prayer. Because Moses is doing what is so hard to do when you're extremely disappointed. Instead of running from God and isolating from God because you're disappointed with him, Moses takes his angst and disappointment to God. He takes off his happy face mask and lets God have it. 
And Moses in that moment shows us that one of the morsels of manna that God provides in the desert of disappointment to sustain us is communion with the Father through honest lament. C.S. Lewis said about prayer, we should take to God what is in us, not what ought to be in us. And that's what Moses is doing. There's another morsel of manna in this chapter. Look at God's response to the prayer. Verse uh, 16. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is in you, Moses, and I'll put it in those 70 elders. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Another morsel of manna in the desert of disappointment is not just communion with the Father through honest lament, but communion with friends who can share the burden of our disappointment. Moses is full of disappointment. I said he's got 38 years to go still. And he's disappointed with himself because he struck the rock when he was supposed to talk to it. And he's disappointed with God's calling to this fumbling, grumbling group of Hebrews. He's disappointed that for 40 years he'll do all the work and lead the people to the edge of the promised land. And then some young and -and up-and-comer, Joshua, gets to lead them in. That's disappointing. But Moses' life is a gift from God, reminding us that it's possible to live in the desert of disappointment for 40 years and live to tell about it. Moses' life proves that the desert of disappointment can become a garden of grace. The cactus is not the only thing that grows in the desert. So does the the rosa stellata, the desert rose, which grows best in dry, barren places. What am I saying? That if we feast on the morsels of manna, communion with the Father, communion with friends, even though every bone in our body wants to isolate from both, disappointment doesn't have to make us a cactus. It can make us a rose. That's what happened to Moses, the humblest man on all the earth. And that's what happened to Jesus. Jesus in the New Testament models for us what Moses shows us in the Old Testament. Remember how Jesus was disappointed and let down by his friends? The people who knew Jesus best let him down most. So that on his dying day, Peter, James, and John, his best buds, fell asleep when he begged them to hang out and pray with him and keep watch. They all denied him and betrayed him. And if I were Jesus, I would have become a prickly cactus. I would isolate myself. I'm not going to make myself vulnerable to friendship anymore because I keep getting hurt. What does Jesus do? After Peter, his best bud, lets him down. John 21, he goes to Peter. 
makes himself vulnerable all over again. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? We think that's for Peter's sake, and it mostly is, but it's also for Jesus' sake, I think. Because Jesus is just opening up himself wide again to friendship with Peter, even though Peter has broken his heart. He's communing with friends, even friends who've disappointed him. But what happens when God is disappointed with God? Jesus up on the cross, Aramaic, uh, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which when translated is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said to the Father. Now you can interpret that a bunch of different ways, but at the very least, Jesus is feeling abandoned by the Father for doing what the Father called him to do in the way the Father called him to do it, and he feels the absence of the Father. And if I were there on the cross, I would have not prayed, perhaps. Isolate myself from God. He's disappointed me, after all. Jesus, like Moses, like Jeremiah, like Job, like David, takes his honest prayer of lament to the Father and finds communion with him there. And he becomes a rose. If you choose isolation in the desert, Azazel will eat your lunch. If you choose communion with the Father and communion with friends, God will use it to make you a rose. What does that look like? Communion with the Father. Uh, when I was a, a senior at Houghton College, I was pastoring a small church in the country, and I had this big uh, parsonage that I lived in, and I had friends come and live with me from time to time who were from the college, and I had my buddy Patrick uh, come and live in this farmhouse. My buddy from, one of my buddies from college is here. He's from Canada. Uh, don't hold that against him, but he remembers that big farmhouse, that parsonage. And uh, this, this friend of mine, Patrick, who was, I think, a junior or senior at the time, uh, was engaged to be married. He was living with me. He was engaged to be married to Melissa. And on the night of the rehearsal before the wedding, the day before the wedding, Melissa, his fiance, goes AWOL. She doesn't show up. And she just leaves. She abandons Patrick. And I remember watching Pat in extreme disappointment um, fall apart, sort of. I mean, I remember, I remember uh, Patrick, would, like, he didn't brush his hair, he didn't brush his teeth, uh, he grew out his beard, um, I don't think he showered at all, and he was living in my house, so the, the odor was kind of bad, and uh, I did lock my door at night for safety, I did, my bedroom door, and I remember one o'clock in the morning sometimes, Patrick, in the midst of his disappointment, would belt out psalms of lament, like Psalm 44 and Psalm 60 and Psalm 90, Psalms of honest, angst-filled lament to God. God, where are you? How long, O Lord? How long? Slay the wicked. (laughs) Show up. Scared me out of my sleep, honestly. Freaked me out. But I remember Patrick inspired me and, and showed me something valuable. That in the midst of his disappointment, He resisted the urge to isolate from the God who he feels disappointment with. And he leaned in and communed with God through prayers of honest lament. And that saved Patrick. 
Here's what I want you to do in the next seven days, okay? I know you don't want homework, but school hasn't started. you got all kinds of free time. In the next seven days, before the next seven days are up, this will be therapy for your soul. Trust me. Because it's so easy to keep this appointment in the basement, and it causes ulcers, and we start to play happy face games. And when it's in the basement, swept under the rug, it does all kinds of damage, physically, spiritually, relationally, emotionally. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to write your own psalm of lament. I want you to write a prayer to God expressing your disappointment to him, about him, your disappointment with others, and your disappointment with yourself. Just get it out. I've done this, by the way, several times. And I'll tell you, my disappointment with God was expressed in a page. My disappointment with people was about two pages, maybe three. My disappointment with myself was much longer. But I got it on paper, and it was bomb in the Gilead of my soul. In the next seven days, write your psalm of lament, expressing your disappointment about God, about others, about yourself. But how do you commune with friends in the midst of disappointment? That's key. It's a young couple in our church who uh, got pregnant with their first baby. Uh, It's the family life pastor and his wife, and uh, they go to the 20-week ultrasound, and they find out they're going to have a son. Um, So they buy the sports-themed onesies, and they paint the room blue for the boy, and um, they also find out there might be some abnormalities. And so they go back at like week 30 and uh, they discover that the organs are not fully developed. This baby's in bad shape. So we as a church fast and pray and anoint them with oil and keep hoping and keep believing and keep watching. They go back at week 35 and discover that the abnormalities now are even worse. But we don't give up hope. <laughs> we keep fasting and praying and, and hoping and anointing. And then delivery day comes. And I'm there at the hospital. And the baby is born and dies 45 minutes after life. And I... Uh, go into the hospital room, and here's the scene. Uh, Nicole has the baby on her belly. Jason, the dad, uh, with one of his hands, is holding his lifeless son's hand and his wife's head. And they're both uh, pouring out tears, as you would expect. And their tears are actually dropping onto their lifeless baby. And I remember thinking to myself, I wish those tears can become like the pool of Siloam, baptismal waters, and raise that kid up from death to life. But that didn't happen. They come home with extreme disappointment. Now, if that were me, I think in my disappointment, I would isolate and eat a gallon of ice cream and keep myself from people. But I watched that couple 
Not only receive love from the congregation, but actually ask for it, request it, seek it out. They refused in the midst of their disappointment to isolate because they knew isolation from the Father and from friends would kill them. And they were wise. And they embraced community. And it saved them. So here's the triple dog dare. After you commune with the Father and you write out that psalm of lament, expressing your disappointment with him, with others, with yourself, in the next seven days, I triple dog dare you to share that psalm of lament with a friend, a spouse, a pastor, a mentor, a counselor. I did that. I shared my long psalm of lament with my spiritual director. And she helped me make sense of it. Find one friend with whom you can share the burden of your disappointment or your small group. Don't go it alone. The sacrament of communion is a tactile, vivid, memorable reminder that God provides morsels of manna, bread from heaven, in the desert of our disappointment. At communion, we have vertical connection to God, but also horizontal connection with each other. That's why you can't take communion alone. It's called communion, after all. So we're going to feast at the table on these morsels of manna and find sustenance for the soul. My Italian grandmother would always say, mangiare, mangiare, eat, eat. And that is, I think, what God is saying to us this morning. Eat, eat the morsels of manna that I provide in the desert of your disappointment that can keep you from becoming a cactus and become a means of grace that makes you a rose. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning helping us to overcome the mirages, the figments of our imagination that tell us we're alone, we're stuck, nobody cares, you don't care. Thank you for this means of grace, this garden of grace in the desert of our disappointment that reminds us that you are with us and that we have the body of Christ, the church. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for this feast. And we will eat it and be transformed by it because you, in somehow, some way, mysteriously, are in it. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus Christ was disappointed by those who knew him best, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven for the bread, and then he broke it and passed it to his disciples and said, Take and eat this, all of you. This bread represents my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat it, do so in remembrance of my love for you. On that same night, Jesus took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven for it, and then he passed the cup to his disciples those who disappointed him and said take and drink from this all of you this cup represents the blood of a new covenant my blood 
which is poured out for the forgiveness of many sins. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of my love for you. We're going to practice communion by way of intinction, taking a piece of bread, dipping it in the cup. Intinction means to dip. And uh, we have three stations where you can do that. There is a gluten-free station right here in front of me if you're gluten-free. And I'm going to ask those who are serving to come on up, get in position, and we will serve you. Uh, Come to the station that's closest to you, and then uh, you'll figure out the exit pattern and uh, get back to your pew. But as you come, don't just bring your happy face. Bring your disappointment, bring your angst, bring your frustration, because God, guess what, can handle that too. And may this become a means of grace. Would you stand with me for the benediction that we've been reciting through this holy love series from the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica? If you know it, say it with me. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. May the God of peace, God himself, sanctify us through and through. May our whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who calls us is faithful. And he will do it. Amen. You're dismissed.